back in 2013, I was a waiter at a very fancy Mediterranean restaurant in Colorado, and I had the, uh, the Saturday night like money shift in the best section of the restaurant. My, my friend Dave had the, the Friday night shift in the same section. And for whatever reason, I was trying to think, like, what, what was the reason? I, I couldn't figure it out. But we switched one weekend. And I took Friday, and he took Saturday. And wouldn't you know it, Saturday night, the shift I was supposed to be at, guess who comes walking in to the Mediterranean restaurant with his three friends? Johnny Depp to sit in my section, all right? So, <laughs> and if you're like, if like you're ever in a situation like that uh, and you're like, How do, what do you do? Like handle it the way Dave handled it because he went up and he said, uh, Mr. Depp, um, I'm a huge fan, love all your work. I, I had to just say that, uh, but I, I won't bring that up again for the rest of the night. Um, I, like, nobody's coming over here to take selfies. Like, you guys let me know whatever you need. I'm here for you. I hope you guys have a blast. And Johnny Depp was so, uh, in, like, he, he, it, was, he, it moved him to the point that he tipped Dave $5,000. Jack Sparrow in the flesh. $5,000, okay, and like at the time, I'm like, that is like 10 times what I'm worth, right? <laughs> Today, that's like five times what I'm worth. Um, I was like, well, you know, he, you still have to tip 10% to the bartender, 10% to the busser, so in the end, it's like, it's only like 4,000, but... Um, <laughs> Oh, man, why do I tell you that story? Well, number one, because it was a Mediterranean restaurant, and Philippi is in the Mediterranean. And see, see what you're learning at church tonight? You'll never forget that. You won't, I promise you. Um, number two, I missed out that night. Clearly, I missed out on something. I say that to say, uh, do not miss out on the roots that Ryan was just talking about. This opportunity that we have as a church and as individuals to dive deeper into our faith. I am telling you, man, like, like it, it, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And, and so the ball's in your court. Um, do something with it. Do not miss out on this opportunity. You're going to read uh, Philippians 1 this week and do the roots, right? You promise? You promise? Okay. Okay, good. So Philippians is, uh, it's not a book. It is a letter written by the Apostle Paul in the year, anybody know the year? I, I'm not expecting, it's 61 AD. I only know that because I looked it up this morning. 61 AD. So Paul was a church planner and he would go to major metropolitan cities and plant churches and then a few days later move on to the next city and plant the next church okay and so him and his buddy Silas did that in Philippi and Acts chapter 16 is the story of how they got to Philippi and how the church actually started and you're probably asking right now well Doug uh, I'm trying to like get the scene into my imagination so what would be like a modern day equivalent of Philippi back in the day. I'm so glad you asked that. Um, Austin would be exactly what you're thinking of. Like, on, like booming, everybody wants to move there. Like it was also probably rated the number one city to move to, just like Austin was like three weeks ago. Um, like uh, hustle and bustle, young, forward thinking, like artsy, weird, right? 
independent, a city on a river. I have in my notes, uh, ATX with more falafels is Philippi, okay? <laughs> like, he, like hot and humid. Can you relate? Anybody, like, are you there? Like right now, you can, like, you, you can see it, you can taste it, you can smell it. You're ready for Acts chapter 16, starting in 13. Here we go. On the Sabbath, we went out to the city gate to the river. Really quick, we went outside. We. Okay, so this is Paul and Silas. And any guesses? A lot of trivia today, I know. Who wrote Acts? Luke. Luke. Who also wrote Luke wrote Acts as well. And so Acts starts with him saying, like, they did this, they did that. And then at some point right before this, Luke actually meets up with Paul and Silas. And now he's saying, we, <laughs> he was there. He's writing from experience. We went, we were at the river. We expected to find a place of prayer, but we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. So pause, purple cloth, very, very expensive. And so Lydia is, is a uh, fashionista, like CEO, driven woman, like big Instagram platform, probably, you know, like intelligent, very, very wealthy, like has a, has a, a condo in Soho, Manhattan, like a house in Malibu, and uh, like a, a high-rise flat in the Jenga building in Austin, downtown. Okay, this is Lydia. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. Probably a nice home, again. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And, and she persuaded us. So they went. Once, another day, when we were going to the place of prayer, the same spot again, we were met there. And like This time we met a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. So this is a slave girl in her early teens, okay, demon-possessed, uh, different from, Gre like from Greece, different from Lydia in every way, okay? Uh, demon-possessed so she could, like, do magic and tell the future. We'll just call her Matilda for the sake of simplicity tonight, okay? And uh, she followed Paul and the rest of us, and she was always shouting, uh, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. I'm like, that's not, that's a great thing to yell, I think. Um, but I love that, like, they, it, she kept this up for, like, many days, and I love, this is so human. Finally, Paul just became so annoyed with her that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her, and her life from that point on is forever changed. When her owners realized that their hope for making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged, I don't know where Luke was, right here. They seized Paul and Silas and they dragged them into the marketplace to face, he's, he's taking notes off in the distance to write this, into the marketplace to, take the, like, to, to face the authorities. So they end up basically throwing Paul and Silas into prison where they get tortured by a jailer, all right? So like, 
Don't think like our Western world version of that in 2019. We're talking like a, a wet, uh, dark, rat-infested dungeon where they are in excruciating pain, being tortured. In the, like on the very first night, the very first night, what do they do? They start worshiping God in the jail cells, right? And so I heard a pastor in Dallas named Matt Chandler make this joke, like if you were this jailer, if you were anybody back in the day who hated the gospel, uh, Paul was the most infuriating, frustrating human being on the planet because you could not shut him up regardless of what you'd be. You'd be like, Paul, stop talking about Jesus or I'm gonna kill you. And he'd be like, to die is gain, awesome. All right, I'll let you live. To live is Christ. Right on, man. All right, uh, I'll torture you. Oh, well, I don't consider the present sufferings to be worthy to compared to the future glory that I have waited. Okay. All right, Paul. Well, it's the jail cell. It's the rat-infested dungeons for you. All right, well, I'm going to sing songs while I'm down there and probably convert every single one of your guards to know Jesus because he was that free in, in every way, right? And so they're in pain, in jail, for doing a good thing, right? And they're singing good grace. <laughs> and history says, the Bible says, but history also says that night, Around midnight, I love how specific the details are, the earth started shaking. The earth started shaking. And so, pause really quick. Why do we worship? A lot of reasons. Here's one. Worship releases power. Especially, especially when life is not going your way, and yet you decide, I'm going to worship anyways, right? I promise you, some of the most powerful worship nights in Austin have taken place in hospital rooms or in the immediate aftermath of um, loss or a breakup or a broken heart. They're, they're in, in, in prison worshiping. The earthquake comes. The doors fly open. So the prisoners leave. <laughs> Obviously, you should do that. Except Paul and Silas stay behind. Why? So they can share Jesus with the jailer who was just torturing them not 30 minutes ago. And they do that. That's what they do. And, then, and, and here's what the Bible says. After Paul and Silas came out of prison with the jailer, they all go to Lydia's crib, to Lydia's house. And that's where the church in Philippi started. And its first three members, um, an Asian, Thyatiran, wealthy, intelligent woman named Lydia, fashionista, CEO, driven. God saved her through intellectual conversion. All right? You've got Matilda, the young slave girl, Opposite of Lydia, probably broke, okay? Recently uh, delivered, okay? So it has the craziest testimony ever. And she gets saved through a miracle, through a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power. And then you've got the, the blue-collar, hardworking, 
fantasy football playing, beer drinking jailer who experienced Jesus because he saw Paul and Silas live it out in front of him and it made him wonder what is so different about the two of you that you did not run and you stayed. <laughs> like, look at the diversity of this church, right? Like, the kind of people God enjoys saving. Everybody. And in any way. This is the, the beginning of this church in Philippi. Fast forward 10 years, Paul is in a different city, but he writes a letter back to his friends, um, and it's called Philippians. And so when you read it this week, you're going to read things in chapter 1. Like here's one, here's one verse 3. I thank my God every time I remember you guys. Or here's, one, here's verse one, or, uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Remember this one for today. I am confident of this, that he who began the good work in you, you guys, is going to be faithful to carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So you're, like, when you read this, know hey, he's writing to real people. Lydia, Matilda, the jailer, like his friends. Like I promise you, this was the, his favorite church of all the churches that he planted. Like, he pra like, prays for these guys nonstop. And, and here, like, here, here's kind of how I know that, because Philippians is the only letter written by Paul where there's nothing negative to be said. Like, you read, like, Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians, and you're going to see just nonstop, like, guys, stop doing this. Oh, for God's sake, stop doing that and start doing this. We don't live that way. We live this way. And Philippians, he doesn't have to do any of that. He can get kind of straight to the good stuff, man. That's why Philippians is a letter about Christian maturity. It's Paul saying, hey, here's what it looks like, man, to really be doing this God thing as a mature follower of Jesus Christ. And so there's our, there's our backdrop. And here's what I want to do today. Um, I want to have a little bit of fun. And, and this isn't, like, this will get teachy. I, I don't really feel the need to, like, shout anything or, like, even fire you up today. So you leave with, like, an emotional high. Like, if you can lean in and follow this, I promise you there's, there's gold in here. And I promise you you will find something that you will remember at a key point in your life. It, it, that might be today but it will certainly be at some point. I, I want to outline the journey of a maturing follower of Jesus. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to completion. Here's the thing. Um, God does not save you and then leave you where you're at, right? God does not save you, bring you a little bit, and then leave you there. God saves you, and the one who started the good work will be faithful. Like, I hear him, like, saying this to, like, Lydia and the jailer. Like, he's going to be, guys, he's faithful. Keep leaning in. Keep pressing on. He will bring you on to completion. And so in the 90s, uh, Janet Hagbird and Robic Gulick at Fuller Seminary wrote a book called The Critical Journey the critical journey of a, of a maturing Christian and outline it in six stages. And I've been uh, 
learning so much from this book this week. And a pastor in Portland named John Mark Comer um, shared some of his thoughts just a little bit ago on that. And so I'm, I've, I've taken, like, some wisdom there. And then there's so much just revelation that, like, me and my brother have had over the past two and a half years of, like, um, wrestling with God and wrestling through this idea of maturing as a, a Christian. And like this could be, you guys, like bear with me, this could be 10 weeks worth of stuff, okay? And maybe one day we'll do that. Um, but uh, I, I just kind of want to get up to 35,000 feet and just give us like a, a, an overview in six stages of the critical journey of Christians as we mature in this lifetime, right? It's like heaven forever. Okay, until then, God does not save you and leave you. So the journey, so really quick, three balancing statements. Um, like, this isn't like a hierarchy thing where at, like, this level's better than that and this level, like, you're more important than that. Like, this is a map. Maps are clean and tidy. Following Jesus is gritty and messy, right? And there's times where it's like, this is, this is way more of like an upward spiral going through steps multiple times in your life rather than, I made it through all of it and I'm complete in every way, okay? Number two, if you're not growing in kindness and compassion towards other human beings, you're not actually moving forward. And number three, if you're so mature that everybody else has to be as mature as you, you're the infant. That's just a Matt Chandler quote. I'm just quoting him. All right, so here we go. Six stages. Stage number one, the recognition of God. Okay, so this like begins with the realization that like, man, there is something more than what I can like see. Okay, there's, there's a being beyond all of this. Like really kind of this vague ethereal concept of like, I know something is there. Like maybe you're like looking at the ocean or a sunset or, you, you know, you're like, you're a chemist and you're like, well, how do I explain faith, hope, and love with these chemicals? Like you can't, like, and it, like, it, it like stirs your heart into wonder, right? Like it could have been when you were five and your mom prayed for you while she was tucking you in at night that you realized something or like you were on I-70 driving through the Rocky Mountains or it could be like on the mountaintop in like a third world country on a mission trip or it could come through pain after breakup or a loss or in a hospital bed where desperation leads you to recognize God. Stage one, there's something bigger, all right? Stage two, the life of discipleship. So this, this happens, you move from one to two, when you go from this uh, ethereal, ambiguous idea of a God out there to I am following Jesus in a community of other people who are following Jesus. 21 of you just declared to the world that you're following Jesus by getting dunked into icy river waters just eight days ago. Um, this is the stage where you're just like hungry to know more about God. Like uh, you're a sponge, you're a learner. I wanna know more about my faith, like podcasts and, and books and sermons and conversations over Starbucks, right? And that's like, that's amazing. And I pray that you keep that um, teachability for the rest of your life. 
Don't lose that. Don't ever lose that, right? Um, this is that seed. And that's why we do avenues like the roots. It's an avenue. It's not just like a course. It's an avenue to go somewhere, to go deeper in your faith. But here's the thing. Theological information, follow me right here. Theological information that does not lead to external application and inward transformation is what gets you stuck in this stage. Gets you stuck here. Um, I'll say it this way. The message is sacred. The method is not. So here at Red Rocks Austin, we have a method of delivering a sacred message. And we love our method, man. We believe in it. It's not sacred. Before we planted this in January, we got to go to 25 different amazing churches in Austin within a 15-mile radius of here. 25 different methods. None of those are sacred. The message is sacred. If you're not careful, and I call it the cul-de-sac of methods, you can kind of get stuck going from method to method, teacher to teacher, podcast to podcast, church to church, and everywhere you stop along the way, you have kind of this us versus them mentality, mad at the previous spot. And I'm not, I'm not trying to make a point. The last thing we need is more pastors who are good at making points. I'm trying to protect you from that as a guy who's been there and around it. So, like so many times, I still have some theological dizziness in my spirit. Um, this is how you get stuck. Um, how, do you, how do you make sure, okay, I don't want, I don't want that. I'll just, I'll just say it this way. Man, we got to keep the main thing the main thing. That sounds cliche, but it's really a big deal. Jesus is Lord. Paul, Paul would say this in Philippians 1. Um, I'm not going to build walls over second, third, and fourth tier issues. I want to build bridges with the gospel, man. If Jesus' is Lord is being preached, um, that's why even in here, you might have noticed, I quote pastors and authors in all those different methods. And I try to just, I try to cover everybody. Man, because I, I want that to be the heart of our church. I want to pray for other churches in Austin um, and keep the main thing the main thing as to not get stuck, not get stuck and dizzy in that cul-de-sac, um, because here's what will happen if, if we do that, if we, if we um, keep the God, build bridges with the gospel, and theological information leads to inward transformation and external application. I don't have to convince you we live in the day and age where we as Christians are overtaught and underapplied, right? Um, as we, like, a, a shift will start to happen, a holy shift. There it is. And Christianity, at this point, your faith starts to become less about you and more about other people. And so, like, this idea of, uh, um, like, a, a destiny and my calling and the, the plans that God has for me, like, that, that's so real and so good and so trendy right now. Can you take personally somebody else's destiny? When you can answer yes to that, man, I would say 
you start transitioning into stage three, the productive life. Stage three, here's where, here's where serving becomes less of an obligation and more of a joy. You know, you start, it's, it's less of learning how do people follow Jesus and more how do I, like individually, follow Jesus, but for the sake of the body of Christ, right? Like you'd rather go apply it than read about it at this point. Like you, you start getting like, you're starting to use your talents and your treasures and your time to forward and build the church. And it's starting to make you feel like more and more like alive. Like I really, I'm a part of something that's bigger than me. You have a greater sense of belonging in this moment. Like this is like the doing stage. This is like you're busy, like, like being a leader in your church or raising a family or forwarding your career. At like, this isn't all just in the church. Like, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. All of life belongs to him. He wants all of your life, like every aspect of your life can be good if you give it to him, right? We're, we're, we're oftentimes tired in this stage, um, but there's like this second wind Holy Spirit fire that you learn to live by. And it kind of becomes like addicting because you're like, man, I'm seeing like fruit and um, my life is counting and mattering for something. <laughs> and I'm seeing evidence of it. And here, like a lot of Christians will just like set up home here and be like, I, I want to be here for the rest of my life. And, uh, and like, thanks for the journey, Jesus. I'll hop off right here. And, and if that's, like, that might be you, that's a lot of Christians, and, and hear my heart on this. That's great. I, I really, like, man, I, I didn't hear the audible voice of God on that, but I, like, felt, I hope, man, resonating with God's heart on that. That's great. He's proud of you. Um, there might come a point, so don't be surprised now if it does, where you either voluntarily proceed, or you are forced to by life or an event or like a doubt or a hundred doubts that you've always, or a fear or like a, a habitual sin pattern that you want to get around so bad, but you can't figure out how, and trying harder is not working, and you move into stage Four, the journey inward. This is the stage where it looks and feels like you're moving backwards. All right? Maybe, like, this is a deep and personal journey inward, and I love you enough not to sugarcoat this, where there is a lot of pain in the process followed by a lot of deep healing for those who choose to continue through, right? There's like an if and when, like between all of these stages, should you decide? Like if, if Psalm 23, a lot of you know that Psalm, if that was like also a map for your spiritual journey, then this is the, this is the valley of the shadow of death, right? And the only way is through. Ask anybody who's lost a loved one, and you feel grief. You cannot build a bridge and get over the grief. You go through it. It's the only way. And, and you start to 
ask questions and doubt and things surface. And some would call this a faith crisis. I, uh, I think the better word is just pilgrimage. Pilgrimage. Um, getting curious. Getting curious as to why do I have this deep sense of a subconscious pain and discontentment deep down? Because my soul is like shooting up signal flares, letting me know something is wounded in here. When you finally get curious enough as to what it is and then have the courage to, to look, um, it might be like dealing with a, a wound from like a, a mother wound or a father wound or maybe you were hurt by like a church or a person that you, you trusted like this, like a loss or a, a fear of failure or an experience of like a failed business venture, right? Or abuse or like there's pain and I don't have to convince you that it's real. And you, you really can, you really can numb it with your choice of cultural narcotic. And we have so many that you can do it kind of effectively. You, have, you can just distract yourself with busyness or, or you can choose to feel it. Because when you feel it, you can actually let God heal it. And pain is not pointless when God is involved. I promise you, man, if you're, if you're feeling, if you're walking through some kind of valley, pain is not pointless with Jesus. It's in that season, this season, that uh, what gets fostered deep within us is the deepest kind of change. Not the fastest change, that's stage two. The deepest kinds of changes, like permanent dislodging of that stubborn sin or addiction or renewing of your mind and thought patterns and false truths that you've lived by your whole life or a realization of the authority that you have over emotions that you've never been able to tame. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wonder. In the pressing, in the crushing, he is bringing forth new wine, and where there is new wine, there is new power. John Mark Comer would say, it's in this stage we experience healing from the past, processing in the present, and receive new dreams for the future. And eventually, and here's where, like, I know better than to promise you how long, <laughs> um, Eventually, the shepherd who's leading you through will lead you out. And when that happens, what is next is stage five, which is the journey outward. Kind of like back into the world. Now, like just because like you graduate from two to three and three, like doesn't mean like you're, you're not doing, like you don't take the good parts of three with you into four. And as you move forward, right? But you kind of, you journey back, except this time it's not with like the, the knowledge of what freedom is, but a, an actualization and experience of what freedom really is. One, one author called, called this, living without grasping. Sounds so good to me. Like in this moment, you can, you can like receive and accept every part about your reality, um, 
this is, this, is, this is me. This is my story. This is where I've been. This is what I've done. This is what's been done to me. This is my testimony. This is how I look. This is my body. This is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not. Complete reality, imperfect reality with no fantasy or daydreaming, with complete joy <laughs> in the present moment, man. Complete joy. You have, you have greater self-awareness of your faults, like, but no shame. How? How is that possible? Because you have greater God-awareness and how good his grace is also. You care less about what other people think and you just care more about other people. Stuff like money and success, you actually can like enjoy it because you no longer need it and use it to like soothe some deep ache that you have because that's been healed in the valley. And hopefully, like, hopefully you know this. Like at this point, I am speaking to you guys based on the wisdom of other men and women and my observations of their lives. Like being around them when they're on the other side of valleys like that and feeling something alive and vibrant about their spirit. Like you know how somebody walks into the room and like you shake their hand and like you sent something, you sensed something that, that draws you to them. And the, like the opposite is true sometimes with people who um, like they walk into the room and you're like, <laughs> um, not going to get too close. Like Ryan, I feel this with Ryan all the time. I'm kidding. I'm kidding, guys. Come on. He's, he's brilliant. Um, something about it, and, and I'm speaking like their wisdom, okay? And like at some point you transition into the final stage, which is the life of love. And Ben, you can come up. And at this point in the journey, you can actually say um, what Paul said in Philippians 1 that you're going to read this week. To live is Christ, to die is gain. We've all heard that. But when you can say it, and it's not just a cool verse or tattoo, but like, oh, I have, I'm experiencing to live is Christ. To live is Christ, to die is gain, and I, I mean it. Like, this is, this is as close to heaven as you get on earth, where you can sing good grace in a jail cell, and it's not forced. It's not forced. Like, one theologian, I love this, one theologian called this the, the second naivety. You're like, you're an adult, but you're like a kid again. So you have, like, restored childlike wonder. Because we all go through, like, like, we'll call it mature cynicism, which is an oxymoron. Um, and we all go through it. But once you can kind of, like, outgrow that even, you reenter a space of the second naivety where you have the best of both worlds. Number one, you have this childlike wonder where everything is just amazing <laughs> again. I love people. I love God. It's like I'm seeing it with fresh eyes. But you also have the wisdom of an adult. You know, I, my favorite thing is the ocean. It always has been. And standing in front, like I have vivid, distinct memories of being like 11 years old and seeing the ocean and like my heart, man, would just worship like that with no second guessing or hesita hesitation or um, um, like nothing, like just wonder and awe. 
And I stand in front of it now. It's still my favorite thing in the world, but I don't feel it the same way. And I miss it, man. I miss that. But there's, I, I just, I, there's part of me that knows and believes one day I will stand in front of it again. And I'll experience it the way I used to, except this time with the wisdom to sustain it so that it's scalable, the life of love. And so there it is. There's, and, and this is way more biographical than like, like this isn't like, uh, like Ephesians chapters one through six. And like, this is based on um, biblical stories and based on two millennia of men and women who have gone before us on this journey who are just kind of charting their wisdom out. And it would be like, if this isn't helpful to you, fine. That, that's okay. Um, don't take it. But there, there is so much wisdom in here, I think. So much wisdom. Um, so that you can like find yourself in this story. Like I think of like um, Ethan walking into a mall. And he walks into a mall like once every three years when he absolutely has to buy new clothes. And uh, like if he's going to look for H&M, he's going to go the, to the directory. And he's not going to look for H&M. He's going to look for you are here first. You can find that and then you can find H&M. And then you can, it's like, okay, I have to know where I am so I can kind of makes sense like this is just kind of like a, puts language to the season that you might be in or the season that you might be in one day soon and language helps make sense of of everything man when you can explain to somebody with clear and concise language what you're going through it like makes it easier to go through and I was like well, do, do I tell them where I'm at I was like I don't know if I should uh, not because I don't want to be vulnerable I'll say anything to you guys um I just, I don't really know. I'm kind of like confused. I feel like I'm in different places all the time. I feel like there's a big part of me that is in stage four and questioning so many things. Like I used to be so confident about the deepest mysteries of the creator of everything. I think a lot of pastors preach with confidence in the mystery of God. And now I'm not so sure. Like you say that so confidently, it's almost arrogance. You read about it, but you weren't there, bro, when he made it all. Um, and maybe that's a great place to be, less confident about the deepest mysteries of God. Um, and I feel like there might be, might be, there might not be one cell of my soul that is in five and it, that might not be true. The only reason I think it is because there is something in me that is like wooing me forward, telling me, just keep going one step at a time. I know some days you don't know up from down and where to go and like it's, you're at the bottom of like the ocean trying to figure out how to get up to catch your, like just keep going, keep trusting. He is your shepherd. And part of me, like, in that fourth stage, you wanna be like, God, like get me out of here. Like how long does the valley need to be, right? And like, like, uh, like I used to think, I no longer think in, think in terms of a year anymore. I feel like God has gotten me to see longer because um, I, I still do this, but I used to do it a lot. Like, God, like a year is so long, God. And the one who was there before the beginning would say, is it? Or is that a small perspective? Um, 
and there's a big part of me, I feel like that's, uh, I'm like, I wonder if there's a lot of who I am that's in like the one still. Like God is still, he, like Jesus is not Lord over these parts of my life. He's my bud, but not Lord. He's kind of ambiguous and I know like eventually, yeah, but there's part of me, like, like a big part of me, I think in two, still in that cul-de-sac, which is why I'm trying to protect you from it. That's so common in 2019. Um, because I, I still feel in me like bitterness towards like uh, stops in that cul-de-sac that I've been before. Where I'm like, I like I, I, you taught me the Bible in it, like in a way that I know now was unhealthy for me to hear it, and I'm still mad and bitter about it. I was wounded by uh, that church or that person, and I'm not letting that person, that pastor, be human, a human being who's trying to communicate the deepest mysteries of God with humility, and because maybe he was off by one thing, I'm bitter about it, right? Shows I'm still, I'm still very much in two right there. Man, I keep the main thing the main. I tell myself that all the time. Jesus is Lord, and I'm going to build bridges with that. And eventually I'll transition, and this will, that part of my life will become not about me anymore. It's kind of like, like I'm like moving with like a, like a pickup truck of all of my stuff on this journey. And I think I'm like making progress. And this part of me is like in four, you know? And then I, I look back and I'm like, oh, like the refrigerator fell out way back in two. And my couch, my kitchen table, I didn't even bring that with me. And now I got to go like all the way back and like, oh, come on, you know? It's messy. A map is clean and tidy. Following Jesus is anything but that anything but that and I'll probably find myself like, like, like I said like upward spiral not just a, a track you go around one time and then you're there I think, I think God has us wrestle with him because where are you with God when you're wrestling with him you're with him you're with him and so Philippians I hope you enjoy it and I hope this gives a little bit more meaning to chapter 1 this week as you go through the roots, which I know every single one of you is going to do. This man named Paul, who I think has been through every stage and is writing this from a place where his life is love. And he is just a manifestation, like in more ways than he ever thought possible, a manifestation of Jesus Christ. A vessel for the Holy Spirit, like in a way where it's just like breathing now. He's not trying to be the spiritual guy, like doesn't care about that anymore. He's just experiencing Jesus and people are experiencing that through him. That guy wrote this. And because you might, like, you have it in your lap today is evidence that God has a reason and it's not just for Lydia and Matilda and the jailer, but it's for you this week too. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to carry it on to complete. He does not save you and leave you. And so if you are in stage number one, what I like, God is, is I, I, here's what I'll say to you. Here's what I'll say to you is, um, God is so proud of you. <laughs> God loves you so much. God likes you. Contrary to what you may have heard, he's not mad at you. He has plans for you and a future for you 
He's really good at saving and he's not shocked by your ability to sin. And he's personal and real and he has a name and it's Jesus. And if you're in stage number two, what I'll say to you is, man, enjoy, like, enjoy it. Enjoy every stage, man. I feel like that's the, the best way to stick it to the enemy in your life is to enjoy even the valley. Enjoy it. Even if you find yourself starting over, like enjoy the ride. Enjoy the journey. Because he's consistent, so you don't have to be. Keep wrestling. If you're in stage two, there's no rush, man. God's not in a rush, okay? Be a learner. Take that quality with you everywhere you go. Um, build bridges with the gospel and keep the main thing the main thing, regardless of what you learned, right? Theological information only matters. I'll be like, I mean that. Only matters if it leads to external application and inward transformation. If you're in stage three, thank you for funding our church. <laughs> and thank you for giving up so much of your time and energy, your time, talent, and treasure to make this thing happen and to build God's plan A, which is the local church. Thank you. Thank you, and I pray for fruit in your life. I pray you'd feel even more today like you're a part, like you're really a part of something that's bigger than you, a deeper sense of belonging and family, and he's just getting started. That's what I wanna to say to you. If you're in stage four, um, you just need to know that there are men and women, lots, who have gone before you and have made it through the valley to the other side, now with more joy and peace than they ever thought would be possible for their life. And no fantasy life or daydreaming life necessary. And they tell stories there about scars they now have that used to be wounds and would tell you boldly that the valley was the greatest thing that ever happened to them. And if you can enjoy it, oh my gosh. And if you're in stage five or beyond that, then you already know. What am I gonna tell you right now? Nothing, I can't. Please keep coming, teach us, pray for us, mentor us. Keep funding our church, please. <laughs> Guys, pray for Johnny Depp to come to Red Rocks Austin. I'm praying for Matt McConaughey to be here, man. I believe that's gonna happen one day, man. And not so he can fund it, although he could, but just so we can hear him say, all right, all right, all right, every time he walks through the door. <laughs> Does this make sense? Does this make sense? All right, would you guys stand up? Let's pray. God, I love you so much. We love you so much. Thank you for our church. God, I'm just going to trust, Spirit, that you're speaking to every person individually, and I, I pray you'd continue to do so in worship. If anybody is in here right now and, and it, like, life is just not working out in their favor right now, I pray that you would help them to sing and worship anyways because the ground shakes when we do that kind of stuff. Power is unleashed. God, would you help us just to kind of pinpoint where different parts of our life are in this in this, uh, in this model, in this map, God, they're not 
completely true. No map ever is, but some are useful. And I pray this would be for people in this room. I pray people would hear a, a father's voice, woo them forward, woo, inviting them, saying, hey, it's, this is not a salvation thing. Heaven forever, yeah. But even right now, there's reason to move forward. There's reason to dig deep. There's reason to press on towards the completion that you promised if we so choose it. So God, we love you. Thank you for being so good. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said,